This is the I Am a Mainframer podcast, brought to you by the Linux Foundation's Open Mainframe Project. Episodes explore the careers of mainframe professionals and offer insights into the industry and technology. Now your host, Senior Analyst and Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Futurum Research, Stephen Dickens. Hello and welcome to another episode of the I'm a Mainframe podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Dickens, and today I'm joined by Donna Huddle from Phoenix Software. Hey, Donna, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you, Stephen, and thank you for having me. So let's get the listeners and the viewers orientated, dive straight in, tell us a little bit about what you do for Phoenix and your role. Absolutely. So I've been with Phoenix Software for about five years, and I'm their chief marketing officer and head of business development um, there. So I um, interact with a lot of customers and prospects, as well as the technical staff within Phoenix Software. So Donna, we were talking a little bit off camera. It sounds like you're sort of considering yourself relatively new to the mainframe. We were talking off camera, and I'd love to hear how you started your career in enterprise tech when you were still in kindergarten. So maybe let's start there because you've got a fantastic history from some of the sort of conversation we were having. And I still can't believe that you started so young. So maybe just get us going. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, um, I started off uh, almost 30 years ago as a developer on the distributed side, working in the financial industry in Chicago. And um, I was there until um, about 20, oh, 2013, 2014, um, when uh, I got my last kid into college and I decided I didn't want to um, be uh, supporting traders uh, trading in Japan at 2 a.m. And, and having my phone ring um, and having to get up and figure out how to fix a problem. And so I um, decided to try something different. And when I uh, decided to do that, I somehow managed to fall into the world of mainframes and I uh, became Shares Executive Director and um, not really knowing anything about mainframes, but learning very, very quickly that I was about this close to it the entire time I was in okay. my previous life. Um, if you understand the financial industry, the financial industry is divided um, between uh, two sides of the street, they call it, right? The two sides of Wall Street. Um, so there's the buy side and there's the sell side. The buy side of the street is all of your investment managers, people who manage other people's money. And then the yep. sell side of the street are your banks and your broker dealers. Well, the mainframes are employed by the banks and the broker dealers. So your JP Morgan Chases, your Merrill Lynch's, all of those folks. I worked on the buy side of the street. So I worked for an investment management firm, a series of investment management firms um, that um, don't employ the mainframe. So we use distributed systems over there. However, my job, particularly for the last 13 years of my, uh, my run in that world, um, was supporting a global trading desk. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, myself and my team were responsible from, for everything from the point of order entry through settlement, which meant that I was dealing all day long with banks and broker dealers on the sell side of the street uh, globally. And so when I came to SHARE and I started looking at SHARE's membership and, you know, I'm seeing the organizations that are members of SHARE and then I'm seeing the people within those organizations. And I was like, oh, my word, 
I know you, I know you, I know you, I know you. I've been talking to you for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that they were mainframe folks. So, so it was kind maybe, of fun. Yeah, I mean, and that's what Share's like, right? It's a great community. But maybe let's sort of pause and double click a little on what were you actually doing as a developer? What was the sort of daily life? Maybe give us a bit of a, a kind of story arc through that sort of first period, and then we'll get on to the kind of move to Phoenix and the move to share and, and we'll sure. go there next. Well, so um, I taught myself how to code. Um, I, I didn't, uh, didn't go to college, so I have a high school degree. Um, I fell into a position um, in the financial world in Chicago and I got asked to join an IT project one time and it turned out I had a knack for it and I really liked it. And so I, I, uh, with a baby in my arm and a bottle under my chin and a other hand on the keyboard, I taught myself how to code. What a great and, story. <laughs> um, uh, my son, that baby, is now an actual um, uh, software architect. <laughs> so, you know, hey. He's gone full. He was watching, obviously, when he was under your arm. He was watching. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I taught myself how to code, and I did a lot of front-end development at first. Um, mm -hmm. And then as I progressed and, and changed positions, I um, started doing a lot more back-end development. So I've coded in things like Visual Basic, C++, C Sharp. Um, I've done a little bit of Java, some JavaScript. I've done a lot of SQL Server work. Um, mm -hmm. When you're supporting um, a trading system, a lot of those trading systems are obviously built on big databases. Um, and so you have to be um, very comfortable with working with that data in the back end and then also creating interfaces and um, third-party pieces, if you will, um, that interface with your trading system. So I've done a lot of that, a lot of hands-on with that. I've also learned some proprietary stuff over the years, report writing languages, things like that. So uh, tell us, you touched on it, but we'll go back to it. You told us a little bit about kind of how you bounce from that into the share role. So maybe talk through that transition and, and what you what you ended up doing for share and, and kind of what you learned from that experience. Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. I had decided that that it was time for me to change roles and do something different. Um, I left my previous position and I was doing some consulting work to fill the gap. And I got a phone call from someone who said, "Hey, we have this really interesting position. It's the to be the executive director of this nonprofit organization." And to be honest with you, I had no idea that that whole world existed. Mm -hmm. And um, the person I'm speaking to said, "Oh, I think your skills will, you know." Uh, they'll cross over. And I'm like, you know, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll take uh, your word for it. Well, no, nah, I didn't quite take their word for it. But uh, one of the things about me um, that maybe we haven't touched on a little bit was not only was I um, in IT and did I know how to code and taught myself how to code, but I was also uh, licensed on the business side. So I spent a lot of time on the business side and I understood mm -hmm. how the business side of the financial industry worked. I actually had my Series 7, my 63, and my 65, which made me a registered rep, which meant I could actually sit down at a trading desk and trade, um, and I was a registered investment advisor. I never actually performed those roles. I got those licenses so that I could understand the business, and it yeah. allowed me to be able to sit with, let's say, a, a, bo a bond trader or a stock trader and understand what they were saying to me and then turn around and take it back to the IT side and translate it. So I kind of straddled both sides, which meant that I had this kind of unique skill set, right, that allowed me to understand the business 
and the technical and manage anything that, that fell in between the two. And so when someone said, you know, your skill set, your unique skill set will cross over, it actually did. Um, but it took me a little while to wrap my head around it. And I had to do a lot of research to understand what this whole nonprofit world was um, mm-hmm. and how that would work. And so when I um, got hired for the position, we were about six weeks from Share's uh, summer event of that year in 2014. And by the time I got there, I had been drinking from a fire hose, essentially. And um, the staff, you know, is trying to keep me up to speed. And I said, listen, you all know what you're doing. Just do what you do. And I'm going to run behind you and try and keep up. Um, yep. and, uh, and it worked out really well. I met a all lot of All you can do is break people. things that close to an event. You can't actually do anything to make it better. <laughs> exactly. Um, just, you know, just, just help me not break anything and we'll be good. And, um, and it worked out really well. And I met a lot of amazing people and, um, I had a great run at share, um, uh, essentially working with the board of directors, working with all of the volunteers, um, you know, helping to run the organization on a day-to-day basis, um, as well as, you know, getting things together for, um, you know, the two main events that they do a year and any um, year-round offerings they do. And it's definitely, a share is a full-time job. It definitely is a full-time job. It's a vibrant community. I think people see the two events a year and they think that's all it is. They don't realize how many working groups and things that are going on throughout the year to kind of not just put those shows on, but yes. also just the work the community does just in general. And it really is a community, Stephen. I think that, you know, that's really an important word when you're talking about the, mm-hmm. this, these folks in this world. It is a community. And I was recently um, at the IBM Tech, Tech Exchange and I participated um, as part of the Open Mainframe Summit on one of their keynotes on diversity. And one of the things that I said during that was, you know, when I was in the distributed world, it's not a community. It never felt like a community. But when I came to share at that first event, that was the first thing that just kind of slapped me in the face was how much of a community this is and how welcoming and embracing it is. And I jokingly said that from day one, when I started meeting people, they just really, they embraced me and sometimes literally <laughs> embraced me. Yeah, I've had that on the floor at Share. <laughs> exactly. Um and and it was something just it was so different than what I was used to in the distributed world. It really is a vibrant community. Well, I think it's the I mean there's a number of different dynamics there for me. It's we did some work when I um approached um, one of my crowning glories is is in my career is working with the Linux Foundation to set up the Open Mainframe project when I was at IBM. So yep. Um, that's that's why I'm still doing this podcast because I feel the need to continue to contribute to this project. But when we did some analysis and looked back, Share was the first place to be doing open source, sharing tapes, sharing JCL, sharing recs, back way before the open source movement as we know it today started. Share was, I mean, it's in the name, right? But it, sharing right. code, sharing scripts you know sharing tapes that was where the community started but then so share is not an acronym it's what they do (laughs) yeah it's i mean and that kind of sort of formats baked into the dna but then you just look at and the interesting thing for me at share is when you're doing the sort of booth drinks on one of the nights the amount of people who are from competitive firms and you must see this with phoenix 
They're from competitive firms, but they're there chatting on a booth as if they've been friends, and they have been friends for decades. The vendors move around the community. People who are sort of – you just don't see that at any other tech event. I you, go you to know a what? bunch of you really don't. I mean, you know, we have friends across the entire ISV community. And I know that if I'm struggling with something or I have a customer or a prospect that I'm working with who says, you know, we have this, you know, competitive competitor product and, you know, we want to make sure that this still works when we do this and that kind of thing. All, all we have to do is reach out to our friends across that aisle, right? And shoot them an email and say, hey, we're working on this and everybody jumps on board. Everybody helps everybody else out. It really is a community all the way around. Yeah, it's very, very different to anything else. I, I think it's the people have moved around that community. So there's, and I think for me, there's just a shared ethos of this platform is so important to these customers that we need yes. to figure it out. We can't draw the battle lines and go to war. No. Ultimately, we've got to service these customers because they're supporting the most mission critical applications in the world and the vendors figure it out yes so you mentioned that you know one of your crowning glories was open mainframe project right well i was still at share shares executive director when the open mainframe project was um uh formed and i was still shares executive director when they launched zoe and i, rem- I so- still remember that room where they launched zoe yes. i remember I remember having to bang heads with some of the vendors because they were saying, well, the roadmap's going to be this. And I I remember what I said to a room of probably 100 people. I said to the three vendors who were sitting on the top table, I went, guys, you don't own the roadmap for this. Right. And there was kind of stunned silence in the room. And I went, all the people sitting in front of you own the roadmap for this because this is a community project. Exactly. And the room just kind of went quiet. (laughs) <laughs> and I think Rocket, IBM, and and Broadcom kind of went, ah, he's right. This is going to be different. I think so. If you're in, uh, so uh, I mean, the success of the Zoe project has been just fantastic these last few years. Really, really done so well. Well, what are we? Five years of that project now, and it's huge. Yeah, it's five years. It's huge. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, that I was involved from a share perspective when, when Zoe was launched and when it was announced. Um, and then when I came to Phoenix Software, I was able to get Phoenix Software involved in the, you know, as with membership in the Linux Foundation, the Open Mainframe Project. Um, I'm actually a member of the marketing committee for the Open Mainframe Project. Um, and have been for the last several years. And Phoenix Software was, we like to call it the first fourth um, when it comes to Zoe, because we were um, the first non-founding member of Zoe to have a Zoe interface. Oh, fantastic. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. So so maybe that's a great pivot. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Phoenix and kind sure. of what your role means now that you're kind of their chief marketing officer. Yeah. So, you know, obviously chief marketing officer for a software development company, you know, it is what it is. You, you, you're running around telling people, tooting our horn and saying, you know, uh, you know, Phoenix software, we're great. We are, we are great. We have a lot of great customers. And um, I was once told that Phoenix software was the industry's best kept secret. If you knew us, you loved us. If you didn't know us, you didn't know us. And my goal was to change that. 
Um, and I think that, um, and changed that in that I wanted everybody to know who we were. Um, and I think I've done uh, a fairly good job of that, of trying to kind of broaden our reach and our, our, um, our profile. And that comes from things like being involved in the open mainframe project mm-hmm. and being that first fourth with Zoe, um, those types of things. Um, and then I'm also head of business development, which is sales. So I, you know, I handle all of the relationship management um, with our customers, as well as, you know, prospecting and that kind of thing. But the two would tend to go hand in hand. Marketing and sales really are um, hand in hand. Um, I do represent um, Phoenix Software within the Open Mainframe Project and the Linux Foundation. I'm part of, like, as I said a minute ago, the marketing committee um, for the Open Mainframe Project, which is a lot of fun. And, and right now we're looking at, you know, how do we take the Open Mainframe Project and its messaging um, out to more the local user base, if you will, by um, getting involved with local user groups and regional user groups. And so we're kind of mm-hmm. working on on something for that. And I'm, you know, very excited um, to be involved in that. And, you know, all of that is great for the industry because I think it's where that where it's going. It's great uh, for the mainframe. It's also great for Phoenix Software. So, you know, I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone, if you will. Uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. I think exactly. is the phrase. When it... So, so Donna, as we start to think about wrapping up here, fantastic career arc, really great experience. You know, getting your investment and sort of trading licenses, being a front and back end developer, kind of working um, in a non profit organization, and now working for a software company in Phoenix. What would you say to yourself if you had the opportunity? I'm giving you the sort of the uh, DeLorean space sort of traveling, time traveling machine. You get to go back and speak to yourself when you're starting out on your career. What advice would you give? We've got a lot of younger listeners on the show. They're kind of trying to think, how do I navigate into this technology Basically, just what would you say to yourself? You've got the opportunity to go back. You know, if I had the opportunity to go back, you know, even back then when I was in the distributed world, it would be work harder to make more connections with the people around you, right? That Mm -hmm. sense of community is really strong. And just because it doesn't exist already doesn't mean you can't help create it or at least create your own community. And that is by reaching out and making those connections to people and finding those people where you can ask questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People that you can, that you can reach out to when you're struggling with something who can give you some guidance and give you some advice. I think that's, pardon me. I think that's the most important. And I've said that to young people when I was at share who are coming in, you know, don't be afraid to walk up to a group of mainframers who are standing there and just join in on the conversation and ask Mm -hmm. a question. No question is stupid. And I guarantee you that those people will welcome the opportunity to not only answer that question, but to bring you into the fold. And I think that that's something that I wished I had done more of when I was younger and that um, I, I probably could have gotten a lot farther and learned a lot more, more quickly. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Donna, the other question we always ask the guests, and I'm really interested to get your perspective, is obviously the mainframe's got a storied history. We're coming up on 60 years next year. But 
the platform's still going. We're still seeing development. I was out with the IBM product management team just recently at a conference. They're talking about the next three boxes they've got in development. But I'm interested to get your perspective of where do you see this platform maybe three, five years out? Where do you see the mainframe going from here? You know, I do think that um, open source is the key, right? So um, not just because I'm involved in the open mainframe project, but I do see um, that evolution continuing, right? I see more and more customers um, who are, um, if they're not already involved in open source, they're looking at it. And so I do see, you know, the mainframe is going to maintain its, um, you know, critical place within the infrastructure and, you know, it, it runs the world's economy. That's not going to change. Um, no. You know, it's, it's really not. And uh, so what I see, what I see changing is I see, you know, more of that open source, more of that collaboration at that level, I see it going there. So a lot more of that DevOps, a lot more of that open source. I think that that's the, that's where the growth is going to be. And that's where the change is going to come. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, I would agree. Well, Donna, that's been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you coming on and spending your time with us and telling us a little bit about your story. Thanks for having me. So you've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Dickens. Please click and subscribe and do all those things to help the algorithm. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you for tuning in to I Am a Mainframer. Liked what you heard? Subscribe to get every episode or watch us online at openmainframeproject.org. Until next time, this is the I Am A Mainframer podcast. Insights for today's mainframe professionals.